with BTS, with YWAM. Got to travel the world as a b-boy. Uh, got to preach the gospel, uh, see thousands getting saved through the International uh, Impact World Tour, through um, GX International, where they use things like the arts, like uh, breakdancing, uh, things like that to bring young, young people together, and then they preach the gospel to them. And uh, he's been able to really see a lot of fruit doing those things. Right now, uh, God's called him to be here at New Philly. Uh, we are so glad to have him. He's trying to develop his uh, speaking skills and his preaching skills more. So, uh, you know, as we welcome him up, let's just continue to encourage him and just speak life over him. All right, let's put our hands together and welcome up Danny Kim. All right. Good evening. Oh, it's my vice principal or ex-vice principal. Hi, welcome. How are you guys doing tonight? Okay, good. Um, so last night I started a Tumblr. Who, who has Tumblr in here? Awesome. Well, it took me about an hour to figure out what name I wanted to go by. Because you know when you start a Tumblr, they ask you what, what uh, address you want. And so I finally ended up with Corivo, which is Greek for, for dance. So if you guys have Tumblr, um, search for Corivo and add me up. Um, so lately I've been watching a lot of animal documentaries. And uh, this year I think I've seen six or seven lion documentaries. Because I really love lions. And so it's uh, interesting watching these videos because um, most of these lions, they behave in a similar um, attitude. And you see when they go into battle, when they try to uh, take down a giraffe or or even hyenas, and uh, sometimes they come back defeated. And after every battle, they do the same thing. The first thing that they do is they, they cuddle with each other, they jump on each other, and they rub their skin against each other's, their fur against each other. And what this does is it, it reaffirms um, their bond with each other, it brings up confidence, and uh, man, you can just see a change in their countenance even after they do this, and they're jumping up and down again. And so, you know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking... People are not too different. You know, they need to be embraced. And so, why don't we just get up? And we're just going to find someone, and you're going to embrace them. But when you embrace them, I'm not talking about just a little quick embrace. I want you to hold them for a good 10 seconds. And go ahead and find a couple people. Just embrace them. How do you guys feel? You guys feel better? Awesome. Uh, so I've been coming to this church now uh, since December of 2009. So it's been about a year and uh, four months. And uh, this, is a, this, is a, this is the first church that I really feel like is my church. Because when I grew up, you know, I would go sometimes to my parents' church or sometimes I would go to 
my friend's church, but it never felt like my church. And even when I served in YWAM, we were mostly just doing YWAM ministry, and we kind of were a church with one another. And even when I, I, I served as a youth pastor in Hawaii, and even then I didn't really feel like it was my church. And so I started coming here about a year and uh, three, four months ago, and I've just been so blessed. And uh, this week I, I met up with Andy Un, and we were just talking about um, just the church and how blessed this church is. And uh, I don't know if, how many churches you guys have been to um, in your lives, but I've been to many, many churches around the world, and it's just such uh, a blessing to be here. Um, there's something special in this house. And uh, I just see tremendous growth in this church. I remember when I first came, um, you know, I would, I would see Marcus and, and, uh, and Pastor Christian and, and John Michael, and then soon... Um, Pastor John, and uh, as I would look at these leaders, you know, I saw identity and I saw confidence, but today I just see such an increase, and especially this year, I noticed uh, maybe last week or two weeks ago that when I look at Marcus and Pastor John especially, I just see so much growth in authority and identity, and I was just taken aback, and I feel like the Lord is just doing that in this house, and so I just want to say to you guys, you've been such a blessing in my house. I know I've grown a lot since or in my, in my life. I know I've, and not my house, but I know that I've grown a, a lot since being here. And so, yeah, thank you, Pastor Christian and, and John Michael and, and uh, Pastor Marcus and John's not here. But um, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about um, preaching today. And, uh, but uh, probably, it'll probably go a little bit different than you would expect. You know, in the Bible, the word preaching comes from the word uh, caruso. Everyone say Caruso. Caruso. And the word preacher comes from the word Kerix, K-E-R-U-X. And so what the Kerix was, uh, was a spokesman for the king. This is thousands of years ago. And so, you know, the king is busy. You know, he's in his throne room. And the king doesn't just go in and out. He doesn't just make all the announcements to the people. What would happen was the Kerix would approach the king. And uh, the king would uh, relay the message that he would want to announce to, to his people. And so the Kerrigs had pretty much the most uh, prestigious position in the kingdom because they gave him access to the king. He would be able to go to the throne room, and he got to spend time with the king. Now, he had a lot of responsibility as well because the Kerrigs wasn't just going to go out and just say exactly what the king said, but he was supposed to say it with the same emotion even the same kind of body language that the king would use, um, he would have to um, he would have to be a man of character. He represented the king. He was a representative of the king to the people. And so, as he would deliver the message, he would say it with the same kind of fervor that the king would say it. And so that's where we got the word preaching. And so, you know, sometimes when the preacher is preaching and he's, you know, he's starting to really show emotion, you know, sometimes people. Say, so now you're preaching. You know, you probably hear Krishna saying that sometimes. Now you're preaching. And because that's, that's where the word comes from. Showing the emotion um, of the king and the message that it's delivered. And so, um, actually, Kerrick's also means uh, ambassador. So in this room, we're all actually Kerrick's of the king. And we all carry within us a Caruso, which is uh, the message of the king. So when I think about preachers, um, someone who really is a carex of the Lord, 
Um, this, is, this is someone in history. His name was George Whitfield. Has anyone heard of George Whitfield? <clears throat> okay. So George Whitfield, he was born in Gloucester, England. And uh, he was born to a family that owned um, a tavern. In this tavern, they had a bar. But at two years old, his father died. And at 10 years old, his mother got remarried. And at 15 years old, his mother got divorced. And so what happened was George would quit his studies in his school, and uh, he would begin to work in this tavern. And uh, he would basically be a chambermaid for the tavern, and he would be a bartender. At 15 years old, he's serving sailors and all kinds of different people that would come in. And it was at this time that he developed many bad habits, including stealing um, from his mother, from his mother's purse. And, you know, as he lived this lifestyle, he had no conviction at all. But at the same time, he developed a passion for acting and theater. So uh, George would, you know, he would try to get the lead roles in schools. This is before um, he quit school. And uh, he would do really well, actually. And whenever a special guest came to the school, George Whitfield was asked to present a speech in front of the school. But at 15, uh, he quit school. But he would begin to attend um, services where someone would preach the gospel. And so what he would do is he would go to these uh, services, he would listen to the message, and at night he would go home to his sisters, I think he was like a family of nine or something, and, uh, and he would imitate the sermon, and he would try to do it word for word, um, and he would try to show the same body language as the preacher, and uh, as he would do this, though, he would feel something stirring in his heart. <clears throat> and so pretty soon, uh, his, he made up his mind that one day he would want to be a priest of the Angli- Anglican church. And so, but at the same time, he knew that the only way that he could be a priest in the church was if he went to Oxford. And uh, his family was poor, so they didn't have the funds to send him. Uh, but pretty soon, his mother heard that if you would go as a servitor to Oxford, you can earn um, wages to pay off your, your school fees. And what a servitor was, uh, was, a, was a person who basically served richer students. And so he was like an errand boy for more prestigious students. And so he, he did that. He went to Oxford, and he began to serve as a servitor. And pretty soon, he became the most popular servitor in the school because he had experience serving in the tavern, and he would serve sailors and all these people that were um, really rude to him and mistreated him. And so at this time, the Lord is, you know, is, is uh, working on his heart and, uh, and he's sending his affections before the Lord. And one day he hears about something called the Holy Club. It's called the Holy Club. And uh, the Holy Club was ran by a man named John Wesley. And his brother Charles Wesley was also a part of it. And so... Uh, he really wanted to be a part of this holy club. And so one day there was a, a woman who tried to kill herself. She tried to slit her neck. And so anyway, it was George Whitfield that would send her to John Wesley because he knew that John Wesley would, would help. And so um, it was through that that John Wesley invited him to join the, the holy club. So it was in the holy club that he started to get discipled by John and Charles Wesley. Uh, they would give him books. They would teach and, uh, and he began to grow. 
But at the same time, at this time in England, actually at this time around the world, um, the church believed that the way to salvation was through works. Um, they didn't believe that it was by grace through faith. And so as, uh, as, as George was reading books, he read a book and it talked about how we're actually saved by grace through faith. And as he read that, it became so alive to him that uh, he actually, his faith grew and he knew that he was saved by faith and not works anymore. So he began to, to lead Bible study groups. He would lead cell groups and uh, he would travel around a bit and he would preach salvation is by grace through faith. And uh, at this time, um, he would use his background in the arts to really preach um, effectively. And, uh, and people were very impressed with his preaching. So pretty soon, um, at the age of 21, he, was, uh, he became a deacon in the church. And usually they require that you be 23 at this time. But because of his, uh, his preaching ability and because of his character, they decided to go ahead and make him a deacon. And so his first sermon as a deacon would be back in his hometown in Gloucester. And in Gloucester, he would preach, and there would be a, a packed house because everyone wanted to come back and see this, this uh, bartender guy preach the gospel. And so he went back, they went and they, they filled the house. And uh, as George Whitfield would preach, they would say about, uh, I think it was about 15 people seemed to have gone mad with conviction. And, uh, and they would go crazy, and he didn't know what was going on. But then his fame began to grow, and uh, pretty soon he was preaching all over England at a young age. And he was preaching in the most famous churches, and, uh, and his fame grew quite rapidly. And uh, there was even famous actors that said, if I can only speak with emotion the way that George Whitfield does. So pretty soon after that, he is invited to go to America as a missionary. And so he goes to America, and, uh, and the same thing, he starts to preach. And usually when people see him for the first time, he looks so young that they're just kinda, there's kind of these walls. But it's, it was said that as soon as he would open his mouth to preach, all these walls would come down. And, uh, and if you look at the faces of the people, they're just stunned at this man's preaching ability. And so pretty soon he's, he's preaching in front of hundreds and thousands and then 10,000s and uh, even 60,000, which was unprecedented at that time. So uh, George Whitfield um, started preaching open air. And at this time, there was no such thing as open air preaching. And so he pioneered it. And as he would, there would be thousands and thousands of people that would come. And it was said that in his meetings, they would hear of George Whitfield coming. And hours in advance, uh, there would be thousands and thousands of horses riding to uh, the meeting area. And as they rode to the meeting area, from miles away, it would look as if there was this um, cloud of dust that would arise. And on the ground, you could feel the ground shake. And then you can hear what sounded like the sound of thunder. And so um, thousands of people would come on horseback. They would rush to the front of the stage they would wait for hours in silence for George Whitfield to come and preach. And as they did, they were so caked with dirt that their whole body was just like brown. They were just dusty. And the horses were dusty. And there was just dust everywhere. And so George Whitfield would come. And uh, he would have with them a box kind of like this. 
And he would get on the box and he would begin to preach. And even in th- crowds of 30,000, he had no kind of amplif- amplifier. And, uh, and it said that everyone could hear his voice as he preached the gospel. So uh, he would return to England. He would go back and forth from England to America preaching the gospel. And he would begin to preach with John Wesley and Charles Wesley. And, uh, and this was at a time where um, just the charismatic was almost non-existent in the church. And so John Wesley would preach some meetings. And all of a sudden, they would see these manifestations in the crowd. And they didn't know what to call it. So that he just called it shakings or tremblings. They would, he would call it faintings and uh, convulsions. But George Whitfield, he saw that, and, he, was, and he, he approached John Wesley and said, this can't be from the Lord. But it was the very next day when he preached that the same thing started happening in his ministry. <laughs> and so um, eventually they, you know, they brought revival to almost all of England. Um, they brought revival to America and Scotland. And it was said that 80% of Scotland, 80% of the American colonists in Scotland has seen George Whitfield preach at least one time. And so there was such a massive revival that happened um, that really America would not be the way it is today if it wasn't for the ministry of George Whitfield. And part of the reason why I'm sharing this story today is I feel like the God, has, God has put on my heart um, the desire to know the history of the church. Because I, I think the majority of the church, we know what happened in the Bible, but what happened between the Bible and what happened today. And I feel like the Lord says, if you don't understand the past, you won't really understand the present, and you won't really be able to see the future. And we have such an inheritance from these men and women of God that have gone before us. And as we come, and as we, uh, as we dig into the histories, I believe there's an inheritance that we grab from it. There's an impartation that we can get from it. And you know, there's power in testimony. And when you, when you share a testimony, it's like the power of what had happened in that story. You know, it's like it shows up again. And you can, you can grab a hold of it. And I believe that as we research the histories of the church, and we see the great men and women of God, and we, as we begin to read about it, as we begin to speak about it, there's an impartation that we can grab a hold of, and that we can have today. Amen? So... Um, you know, he had a lot of persecution as well. A lot of people would come to the meetings and they would have rocks, rotten vegetables, and dead animal parts. And they would just go ahead and start throwing it at George while he was preaching. They would bring drums and they would bring trumpets and uh, they would try to drown out his sound. But they said that you could hear his voice even over the trumpets and the drums. And so those that came to hear him preach, would, they would uh, crowd around these guys and they would just take care of him. Now, you got to understand that at this time that he was preaching the gospel, the church didn't really preach the gospel. They, they read off a letter most of the times in a monotone voice. And if you preached with enthusiasm or emotion, they, can, they blamed you for being, they accused you of being an emotionalist or emotionalism. And so what happened was, man, George had a lot of opposition, but he didn't care. He just went for it and he would preach with emotion. He would preach with fervency. And as he would preach in front of 30,000 people, you know, you could hear a pin drop. And pretty soon it was just a sea of people with tears running down their faces. Because the emotion that he was carrying 
was carrying the heart of God. It was the heart of God. And he was releasing that heart of God. He was preaching the message the way that the Lord would preach the message. He was conveying the communication um, past just words. And so, he was a Carex. How many Carexes do we have in here? All of us are Carexes. And so I'm not saying, the message isn't, we need to go to acting school and <laughs> preach the way that George Whitfield did. But what I'm saying is we need to get the heart of God and we need to display the heart of God the way that he would display it to the world. And that's what being a Carex is all about. So when I was uh, 21 years old, I was, in, I was in Norway. I was there with my best friend. And uh, we were invited to be guests at this camp in Norway. And, uh, and at this camp, we would speak a little bit, but mostly we're just teaching uh, dance workshops. So, uh, so the day that I flew in, I was really sick. I just got sick that day, that morning. And uh, we get there a little bit early. And uh, we meet the guys at this camp. And they bring us into this room, and they sit us down, and they just kind of begin to explain the outline of this camp. And so as, as we're there, there's a bunch of buses that are coming, and, uh, and the students are just coming off of the buses. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I look out the window. There was these two girls. They're really beautiful. I was a little, bit, a, a little immature in the Lord at the time. Little girl crazy. Anyway, I saw this girl. I was like, wow. I thought, wow, they're beautiful. I was like, and then I said in my mind, I'm just going to go outside and just kind of walk past them and maybe they'll notice me. <laughs> so I went outside. I walked past them. They didn't even flinch. I was a little bit offended, to tell you the truth. I was, I was offended. And I kind of closed, I put a wall up too. I was like, ah, whatever. I'm a guest at the camp or whatever. Anyway. So that night we had our first meeting. And uh, the next day we had our first workshop. And in the morning I taught some break dancing. And I would go to lunch from there. And uh, I would wait in line to get food. And uh, actually this was 2002 because I remember the, the World Cup was, was playing at that time. And so I was, I was standing in line, and all of a sudden I turned my shoulder, and this girl's right behind me. Dun, dun, dun. And uh, actually, she, she began to talk to me, right? And she's like, oh, I heard you're a break dancer. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know. And then she's like... Uh, She's like, oh, do you know Maurizio, which is a famous Italian breakdancer? I was like, oh, snap. How do you know who he is? Like, he's, uh, he was one of my inspirations. And uh, she talked about how she spent some time in Italy, and she met him. And uh, he actually taught her some breakdancing. And so I was like, wow, that's really cool. I said, you should come to my workshop. <laughs> so she's like, oh, okay, I think I have some time. I'll, I'll go to your workshop. So... Uh, after lunch, I go to my workshop, and she comes. She kind of just sits down, and she watches for a while. And, and man, I was, like, starting to really like this girl. I, I, thought she was, I thought she was awesome. 
And uh, she just kind of showed me a couple moves that she learned or whatever, but that was it. And so, we, I mean, we talked a little bit, but that night we went to the evening session, and uh, she was there before me, and she had saved me a seat. And so I go there, and she, she, she like, runs up to me, and she's like, Danny, I saved you a seat. I was like, dang. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I, re- I remember before the service started, we were kind of in the, in the back of the room, and we're just talking, right? And, uh, and she's, she's saying some stuff to me. But I remember as I looked at her, as, as I was facing her, I couldn't hear anything she was saying. And in my mind, I, I remember so clearly, I, I was thinking, man, she's so beautiful. I literally said in my mind, I can't believe that she's this beautiful. I mean, I was so stunned by her beauty. I'm not joking. And so... So we It's going somewhere, okay? This is all going somewhere. This is all going somewhere. This is today it's matrix style preaching. There's different kinds of anyway. Matrix it just all comes back together at the end. <clears throat> so anyway, we got to our seats and she would continue to talk and I continue to think, "Man, you're so beautiful." And, uh, and I got really sick. So through the camp, um, she started taking care of me. I had to miss my workshops. She would come. She would bring me food. She asked, are you okay? Do you need anything? I was like, yeah, I need something. <laughs> no, not, no, no, no. That's not what I mean. And so, I mean, it kind of continued on for the five days that I was there. And in the last day, she's like... Last day, she's like, you know, just stay up all night with me. <laughs> I was so sick and tired. I was like, uh, okay. But I went to bed like at 2 o'clock or something. Anyway, the next day I had to leave. We went straight to another camp. And so um, I kind of said bye to her. Uh, we exchanged contact information. And I went to this other camp in Norway. I went straight from here to the other one. And, uh, but it was amazing that day I was just totally fine. And so it was like the day I got there, I was totally sick. The day I left, I became totally fine. And, uh, so anyway, at this camp, I kept in contact with this girl. And I mean, I was messaging her like nonstop and, and I was like, dang, I really like this girl. And she, she loved, she loved the Lord. And, uh, and then she said, she said, why don't you come and visit? Why don't you come and visit? She's from Finland. So why don't you come and visit Finland? I was like, should I, should I? And all my friends were like, go, go, go. Anyway, uh, so I decided to go. And the day that I decided to go, there was actually, actually a breakdance competition. And so I thought, oh, this is perfect. I can go. I can enter this breakdance competition. And I can spend time with this girl. So I flew to, I flew to Finland. And it was this big competition uh, with international breakdancers. And I ended up entering the, con- the, the battle with this this uh, grandma called Crazy Grandma. She's 60, year old, 60 years old and she breakdances. And she's, she's famous. She's famous in the breakdance world. And so we had known each other from other competitions, and so we decided to enter together. Anyway, we made it, we made it all the way to the semifinals. And in the semifinals, we battled Junior and Laos, who were both uh, world champion breakdancers. And they, they beat us just barely... 
And so anyway, um, throughout that week, I, I spent a lot of time with Nella. And I was just like, I was just smitten. I was smitten. And, uh, and so we decided to just pray about our relationship and stuff and see if it was going to develop. And, but the thing was, is that as I talked to her, I was like, um, we were talking about future and stuff. We were even like talking about marriage and stuff, you know. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I think I'm just, I'm going to be doing ministry for a long time. I think I'm going to travel. I think I'm going to be some kind of missionary for a long time. And then, you know, she kind of would look sad a little bit. And she's like, I, I can't see myself traveling. And so it's really bothered me. And uh, anyway, I left and we continued to pray and we, we kept contact. And then I decided one day, I was like, man, if she, she can't see herself traveling, then uh, I think it'll be too hard. I think it's just not going to go anywhere. So we already had plans to meet in Norway the next year. And she already had plans set up and she already had a job and stuff. So uh, I broke the news to her, totally broke her heart. And, uh, and I was that. The next year, I came back to Norway, and uh, I, went to, uh, I went to the camp that I went last year. Not the first one, but the second camp. And uh, she showed up to that camp. But this is what happened. So we're in one of the main meetings in this huge tent. And so I'm sitting in the back of the room, and uh, I'm just kind of sitting on the grass with a couple friends, and totally had no idea that she was coming to the camp. I actually thought she wouldn't come because she wouldn't want to see me. So anyway, what happened was there's, there's an opening on the side of the tent, and it was like a movie. <laughs> the tent opened, the light shone through, and then here she came walking through. And so as soon as I saw her, without even thinking, I was on my feet. I don't know how I got to my feet so fast, literally. I was sitting down, all of a sudden I was on my feet. And, and what it was was, I had been so smitten by her beauty that at the very side of her, I would unconsciously go to a position that would posture myself to be face-to-face with her. So anyway, we talked for a while, and, uh, and then she just kind of left, and uh, we decided to meet up in Oslo. Anyway, it just didn't seem like it would work because of the whole ministry thing. And... Uh, and that was that. We, be, we were still friends. We communicated. And uh, now here's the ironic thing. A few, few years later, she joined YWAM. Yes. And, and, you can, and I beat myself up many times after that. Anyway. Why am I sharing this? I'm sure you're all wondering. Okay, what is a carex? A carex is, yes, who would um, proclaim the message of the king the way that he would do it. But how can you proclaim the message of the king the way that he would? By being in his presence, by spending time with him, by being intimate with him, by watching him. And so there's a difference between being in the presence of the king, hearing his voice, and actually looking at the king. Because it's when you look at the king 
that you see his beauty. And it's when you see his beauty, nothing else matters. All you can say in your mind is, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're this beautiful. And at the very presence of the king, that you would jump up to your feet without even thinking. You would position yourself to be face-to-face with him because you've had a revelation of his beauty. It's like, have you ever been to a conference or a church and you went late and you heard the worship music in a distance and without even thinking, you just start running. You just run up two flights of stairs because all you want to do is to be in his presence and to be positioned to see his face. Thank you. I told you it would come together. Now I lost my train. <laughs> now here's the thing. You have to be in his presence and you have to watch the Lord um, in order to get his message. And it's in that place where you get his heart for the people. So you cannot be a Carrick's without the heart for the people. And you can't have a heart for the people without seeing his heart for the people. And you can't see his heart for the people without being intimate with him. So that's how we become characters. That's how we are. That's how we live our lifestyles of being a character today. I had a dream last week. Can I share it, Paul? Um, I had a dream and, and uh, had been ministering um, for several nights in this dream. And, uh, and it was like, I don't know if it was the final night, but we were about to have another ministry time. And... Uh, and, I, and Paul was there. There was about four New Philly people there. Paul was there. I don't remember. I didn't remember who the other two were, but I knew they were from New Philly. And I just mentioned before the meeting, I was like, man, I'm tired. Because I've been preaching. And, uh, and all of a sudden, Paul's like, dude, I'll preach, I'll preach, I'll preach. And uh, in my dream, I was surprised. I was like, oh, Paul preaches? Because, <laughs> you know, I, I don't really know Paul. Um, I haven't really spent much time with him, and I had no idea if he has any kind of desire to speak or whatnot. So anyway, I was like, yeah, dude, go ahead. I mean, and I could just see that he was prepared, that he just had such a passion to speak. And so, um, I don't know why, but I went around the corner, just like right around the corner, and Paul began to speak. And uh, I don't know why, but I couldn't hear anything that he was saying unless I peeked around the corner which I did a couple times in the dream. And, and it was just awesome. Paul was just going for it. And then I finally came out at the end, right at the beginning of the ministry time. And it was just a powerful ministry time. And then I, I woke up. And so I was a little confused. I was like, does Paul have a desire to preach or to speak or anything like that? And I felt like the Lord was saying, yes, I've given a gift um, to, uh, to minister in front of a pulpit. And so anyway, I shared the dream with Paul on Sunday, and it totally ministered to him, and it totally brought confirmation to him and his gifting and his call, uh, whatever it is, as a speaker. And uh, I feel like there's other people in this room that you have a call, a gift, or the desire um, to have some kind of pulpit ministry, which is either teaching or preaching or, or uh, evangelism, whatever it is. Mark, can we get some music up here? Mark, you. <laughs> and so I feel like today that the Lord would want to minister to you and uh, I feel like today that the Lord would want to affirm you in your calling 
and in your gifting. And, uh, and I feel like there's some people that are like Paul that are just kind of hidden. And you're just kind of sitting there, just waiting for someone to give you an opportunity to speak. There's some people in this room that have that kind of passion, that kind of desire within you. And I feel like the Lord wants to minister to you today. So can we have the altar team, altar team ministers come forward? And if you're one of these people, you feel like you have a calling.